It was 7.59 Monday morning when I hung my coat up on the rack in the corner of the detective's bullpen. Phones rang, computers clicked, printers hummed, and people chatted about their weekends as they settled into work. The smell of fresh coffee filled the air. I threaded my way through the maze of desks and filing cabinets and the bustle of uniforms and civilian assistants carrying files and envelopes. I approached my desk, which is arranged head to head with Ryan's. He was sitting in his chair, and one of the third shift guys, Pelton, was sitting in mine. During the bad old days, when I danced every night away with my lover, Jack Daniel, I would roll into work around 9.30 or 10, because I knew that Chief Arnold, a corrupt, nasty troll, didn't arrive until closer to 11. With his taste for strip clubs, he didn't find early mornings any easier than I did. Only after he fired me did I realize the main reason we hated each other so intensely. We were quite similar in important ways. But now, during the less bad new days, I dance with Jack only once or twice a year, after declining his persistent daily invitations. And I have a new boss, Chief Murtaugh, who arrives by six to lift weights for an hour and expects me to be at my desk at eight sharp. Expects means two things. It's a job requirement, and I'd do it. For most people, showing up on time, sober, and wearing clean, puke-free clothes doesn't call for a celebration. Since it's still a fairly new experience for me, however, I think about it every day. When I saw Pelton sitting in my chair at my desk, my first thought was, well, that's not my chair anymore, not my desk. But then I realized it would be the chief, not another detective, delivering the news, and the location would be the chief's office. No, Pelton wasn't there to tell me to clear out my desk. More likely, he was there to drop a bag of shit case on me and Ryan. Good morning, guys. I made eye contact first with Ryan, then with Pelton. Pelton rose out of my chair. He was about 50, face getting a little puffy, body losing its angles tie undone, shirt blousing around his waist. But he was still in the game, still trying hard to be a good detective. Hey, Karen. I caught a whiff of an apology in his tone. I turned to Ryan. How bad is it? Ryan put on a thoughtful expression. 7.5, maybe 8. Pelton spoke. Homeless guy O'Deed. Wonderful. Downtown? Pelton looked uncomfortable as he shook his head. Ten Mile Park. It just came in less than a half hour ago. I raised an eyebrow. You know, I can look up when the call was logged. I'll know if you're lying. Pelton gave me a sad smile, turned, and walked slowly toward the coat rack. His gait said his back hurt. Ten Mile Park was about 50 acres of undeveloped scrubland off of Ten Mile Road. The city bought it about a dozen years ago at a fire sale price. 
They hired some land-use people to study different plans, but the group concluded the land was too ugly and too far away from any housing developments to be worth putting money into. Then, when the recession hit and there wasn't any money to put into anything, the city changed its position to park? What park? Adjacent to Ten Mile Park, on the other side of Ten Mile Road, sat Lyric Mobile Estate. Lyric was built 30 or 40 years ago on county land just outside the Rawlings city jurisdiction. With low taxes and almost no services, it remained a squalid dump where the adults didn't work, the kids didn't go to school, and the feral cats duked it out with the rats and raccoons for the food scraps in black plastic bags outside the dilapidated trailers.